Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. Good, Bruce. It was a tough day uh, in Edmonton, mm-hmm. of course. The worst ever day in the history of the Edmonton Police Service. Uh, two officers murdered, and uh, I was part of the journal's effort to cover that story. It was just a horrendous and painful day. But life moves on as, as, as surprisingly but it does, but it does. Yeah. And there was a hockey game tonight. That and, sucks. It, and it was, you know, everyone was having fun and cheering and having a good time. That's that's how we, we do it in this world. 18,347 people. Full sellout. Indeed. The Evans Owners, uh, it was a really big victory, I think, actually. You know, to beat it, it, the Dallas Stars are a good team. They're a possible, likely opponent in the first round for the Edmonton Oilers. Hmm. And, um, you know, it, uh, the Oilers, you know, 4-1 win where they were the dominant team, Bruce. We were tracking the grade A shots this game. And, the, <coughs> excuse me, the Oilers had 15 and the Stars had 9. And uh, the subset of five alarm shots, the Oilers had six and the Stars had five. Should be noted, though, that three of the Stars' grade A chances and three of the Stars' five alarm chances all came on the same scoring sequence in the third period. So the Oilers really shut down the Stars at even strength this game, except for that one bad moment, which we'll get to in a little bit. This is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. Bruce, what is your good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with the um, uh, defensive play uh, by Vincent Deherne that ultimately became the uh, assist on the game-winning goal. Uh, and this was during a Dallas power play, near the end of a Dallas power play, when a, uh, uh, there was a bit of a scramble and the, and the Stars got a good hard shot away that Skinner just kind of got a piece of. He was spinning around a little bit and he wasn't really square to that shooter. And the puck popped up in the air and there was a Dallas guy waiting at the edge of the crease to sweep it into the net. But DeHarnay got, came over there with this uh, long, long stick that they featured during the game, 66 inch long stick. And uh, uh, he was able to whack that puck out of the air before it got to the ice and he just kind of whacked it into the corner, into what you would think would be a neutral area, except for Connor McDavid happened to be in that particular part of the sheet. And before you knew it, McDavid had taken the puck end to end and uh, uh, made a sick through pass to uh, Matthias Janmark for the finish. And officially, I understand, a shorthanded goal uh, credited to uh, 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 the Oilers and uh, Scoring play was uh, Jan Mark from McDavid and DeHarnay, and I mean, full credit to all three of them, but to me, the key play there, I mean, it was going to be one-to-one, David. Yeah. It was going to be one-to-one, and then like seven seconds later, it was two-nothing. And, uh, you know, they were ahead to stay. I mean, technically, they were already ahead to stay, but then taking away that tying goal and, you know, extending the lead, that had to be a real uh, kick in the junk for Dallas. Yeah, to give Skinner that after that chance. Yeah, Skinner made a really nice save on the initial shot, didn't he? That mm-hmm. was a spectacular save. And then um, DeHarnay with his play. I was, we were just um, before we came on the air. We were just talking about 
to Harde as opposed mm-hmm. to what he's brought to the team. And as opposed to Marcus Niemelainen, because they're both these like six six huge guys. Deharney's six seven. I think he weighs more than Niemelainen as well. Yeah. But Niemelainen, um, they're they're for defensive defensemen, third pairing defensive defensemen. They're quite different. Who are both physical. They're very, they're different in their physicality. I think Deharney is has a higher defensive IQ. Um, yeah. You know his reads, and what I mean by that, his reads are better. He just understands the the danger points and where he has to be and to get those uh, to those danger points. He doesn't take himself out of the play like Niemelainen did with big going for the big hit. In fact, Deharney hits, but he's you know the, I don't really think of him as a hitter. He he will mash people now and then, like more envelops them, like a I don't know some kind of sea monster. Though they call him seaweed, right? So the mm-hmm. sea sea monster. But he, he's he's he just hacks and hacks and hacks. He's like a six foot seven Kevin Lowe. Kevin Lowe was a real, he would really go after guys with his stick and hack and hack and slash. That's Deharnay. He is the biggest stick man in the orders. He just. Chopping away. Hey, at the puck, at the <laughs> pong stick, <laughs> at the opponent's rap. ankles, you know, yeah. whatever. And uh, he's, he, his key to his success to me is that he is always battling. He doesn't give up on plays. And he doesn't stop to watch the puck, you know, like he's in there and and digging hard and that. Uh, Served him well on this play, and this uh, this was a major turning point in the game to me. It really was, and, and um, yeah, he's he's been a huge addition to the Edmonton Oilers. He really has. He's uh, he's worked his way into the top six. He's a regular player on the Oilers. He will be in the playoffs if he if he remains healthy, and uh, he's contributing like a lot of the players. Like there's a lot of guys who we, we didn't think would be lending a hand here, and they are. It's making a big difference on the Oilers. Uh, so Bruce, my, uh, good thing is the first goal and the game seemed to be in the balance then. I mean, it, Dallas hadn't been getting any grade A shots or anything in the first part of the game, but they had been, you know, it had been fairly even and they're both putting a little pressure on each other. And, and this play was just one fantastic hockey skill play after another. And it's, it starts, um, with. Evan Bouchard retrieving the puck, getting the puck in around his own blue line, I think. And he just zings a pass to Drysaddle, who who charges in across and um, hits uh, Nugent Hopkins with a pass, and Nuge misses the net. I actually was confusing two plays. It was Broberg who initially sent Drysaddle in, and Drysaddle charged across, got a shot off, missed the net. Comes back out, Bouchard gets it, passes it up to Drysaddle, who who moves in and puts, puts it over to Nuge, and Nuge... Nuge uh, misses his shots. It's the only real misfire in this whole thing, but there's a great recovery on the boards by Drysaddle. And then um, the puck, he he throws the puck around the boards and Ekholm pinches hard down the boards. to keep, He keeps it in with a great offensive zone pinch. And um, the puck goes to Fogel, I think, who rings it around the boards quite smartly because I think he knows what he's doing there. I think he knows Drysaddle's over there and he just rings it right around the boards to Drysaddle on the boards. And Drysaddle um, puts it over to uh, Evan Bouchard, who then makes a sp- quite a spectacular diagonal uh, crossing crossing pass. Um, well, it's kind of more of a diagonal than crossing pass down to Nugent Hopkins, and Nugent Hopkins gets the puck uh, at the left uh, part of the crease area, 
And Vogel, after making that really smart pass to Drysdale, does something else that's really smart. He he's like a, a he's like the uh, Giorgio Canalia mandatory 1970s sports reference. New York a player, Cosmos, eh? New York Cosmos striker from Italy. Yeah. And this is this is typical of strikers. This isn't just Giorgio Canalia. There's lots of strikers who you just you just don't see them in the game. You forget they're there because yeah. they're sneaking around, they're hiding out, and they're waiting for their moment to to pounce when the moment is right and lash the ball into the net. So yeah. this is fo- this Poachers. was focus play. He went behind the net. He didn't go right to the front of the net and try to screen or anything. He, I think, somewhat cleverly went behind the net, and they kind of lost track of him for a moment there. They kind, you kind of forget the player when he does that. And as as he's skating around behind the net, all this other, you know, Drysdale's getting it to Bouchard, Bouchard to Nuge, and when Nuge gets it, Vogel moves out, and he's right there at the side of the crease to uh, con- <laughs> conduct. Well, I called it the executioner's shot, you know, the lashing of the puck at the net. But what did you call it, Bruce? The executioner's tap-in. <laughs> they really just had to basically just not miss the net from there. Indeed. Yeah, it was a great goal. It was a, an executioner's shot type of play, except the puck was practically in the blue paint yeah. the time he shot it. Yeah. So It's like a drive, you know, <laughs> Uh, on the putting green, um, <laughs> he was. Fogel's been playing great hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everything he did tonight is great. We will get to that in a second. But mm-hmm. he has been playing. He has been playing great hockey. And I and uh, you know I I gave him talked about the you know the narrative of Warren Fogel's career last podcast. So I won't get into it again. But uh, right. good for you. Oilers outshot uh, Dallas twelve three with Fogel on the ice, which I think was the best. On the team, it certainly was the most shots for, and the differential was the best, and I think the percentage was the best. Outscored him one nothing with five uh, one and high danger chances, and I know we tagged him with one one mistake on a uh, well five alarm maybe three mistakes on a, the same yeah. five alarm sequence. But he wasn't but on the ice for that. He wasn't on the ice, so he didn't even get a minus for that. But uh, yeah. he got another plus in that line of the. Two top lines. That line was by far the more effective of the two, and I, and I would argue it's because tonight and last night, Drysaddle right now has better wingers than McDavid has. I've not been impressed with McDavid's wingers these last few games, specifically talking about Kane and Yamamoto. Uh, and uh, whereas uh, 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 Fogel and Nuge on uh, on Drysaddle's line are ticking along just fine, and so is Leon himself course and, and uh, that line crushed it tonight in possession and the uh, McDavid line got crushed he did his damage shorthanded and on the power play but even strength not so much it's funny about that eh Bruce like mm-hmm. Kane and Yamamoto have both had injuries this year yep. uh, Kane two significant injuries I think you know with the wrist slash mm-hmm. and then the the broken ribs as I understand it right. Yamamoto who knows, you know, all his injuries, concussion seems to be the main thing. But I, I've heard whiplash, there, there comes a point, actually. But pardon me? I've heard whiplash as opposed whiplash. to concussion, like a right. neck-type neck yeah. injury. There comes a so. point where it gets kind of, even if you're trying to be patient and sympathetic and all those good things, where it gets kind of... Where it gets kind of old, right? And you just get fed up with a player, even if he is playing hurt. Come on, man. 
tap that thing into the net. I mean, there's yeah. a few times where it's just sitting there and you're making weak little pokes at it instead of slamming it in like Vogel did, you know. Get your stick on it and fire it into the net. Don't poke it. <laughs> you know, the whole injury thing and the site, like, I was, I'm just reminded, like, suddenly of, um, we haven't talked about this, the Slater Cuckoo uh, mm-hmm. tweet where he, Cuckoo hasn't been playing for almost two years, like a year and a half now. Yeah, he walked away middle early part of last season, really. So he he had been a good oiler in his first year. He had played some solid hockey, but he revealed something that was quite uh, tragic and, and, mm-hmm. and, and troubling that he, he um, was so keyed up and so anxious before he played games that he couldn't eat just not the day of the game, but the night before a game he couldn't eat. And it was debilitating for him. He was fat. It sounded like he was famished and, mm-hmm. and feeling uh, not full of energy. Weak, probably. And he was, it was also socially ostracized from his teammates because he didn't want to be around them. They'd go out to eat and he didn't want to go sit with them and not eat because he'd feel like a, like a fool. Mm-hmm. And so he just, he, it was just this terrible and crippling anxiety. And, um, many people experience this kind of thing mm-hmm. in their life. And, um, I just, I just, I think everybody's heart went out to Slater Cuckoo reading that and, you know, hoping that he can, maybe he can figure this out mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't know, and get back in hockey. Cause that guy, you know, he could, he could definitely play in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's good enough to play in Europe, Bruce, for a number yeah, of more years sure. if he wanted to. He's, I think he's in his late twenties. Mm-hmm. And, um, what did, what did you think of it? Well, I thought it was sad. I mean, that was the second one in two weeks because last week we had that write-up by Al Shemsky about his uh, battles with depression uh, yes. a number of years ago. But while he was a player here with the Oilers, and now we have this one with uh, Cuckoo, which is, a, you know, it's a different um, situation, a different thing he's fighting, but, you know, related in the sense that it's, uh, to some extent, a mental health issue. Yes. You know, personal wellness issue, if you prefer that kind of uh, speak. Uh, but it was, uh, um, uh, Hemsky battled through it, but I'm sure it costs, uh, you know, it, it came at a cost and maybe we didn't see Hemsky at his best for as much as we might have. Uh, and Cuckoo, I mean, who really knows? I know that he got sent down to the miners during the year last year, and I'm not sure he ever reported to Bakersfield. He just yeah. took a leave right from there, and he's not been back on his two-year contract. So, yeah, it's, it's a it's a sad story. And uh, what can I say? I wish him well. Hemsky, as I recall, was also related to vertigo, like a number of hits that he had taken. This it sounded like the accumulation of hits, and then he finally took one, and then he got kind of permanent vertigo for a long time. I don't know. If, I can't recall if he still has it. I don't know if that was made clear, mm. but. He just didn't feel like himself on the ice. He felt like, you know, he didn't feel like he was playing naturally. That was that was a very moving story from Alish Hemsky. Very revealing about the life of a professional hockey player and uh, how they view the world. If you haven't read it, you can go online and Google that immediately. It won't be hard to find. It's, um, it, it's a tremendous uh, first-person story of how he did. Bruce, let's move on to our bad things. Okay. What, is yours all right uh i'm gonna go with the first 10 minutes of the second period and especially the first five minutes of the second period 
where the Oilers in building up the two nothing lead in the first had really kind of, I thought, dominated uh, much of the first period. They outshot Dallas ten to five, and we had them as four one and grade A shots. It seemed like they had the puck a lot of the time. Dallas was going nowhere. And they came out to start the second period, Dave, and it was like the entire team had forgotten how to pass the puck. And they couldn't make a pass to save their souls. And they were trying all these cross-ice ones that were in Dallas. So this is all three periods. Dallas was picking off anything cross-ice in the neutral zone, wasn't getting through. Uh, and sort of driving straight ahead with it and dumping it deep and getting behind the defense seemed to be the better plan. But in that first part of the second, like in their own zone, five foot pass, nope. Uh, you know, when they when they got it, finally got it out to center, it would just rattle off the guy's stick and go right to the nearest Dallas guy and right back into Edmonton's zone. And there there was just a a, a moment of just they just seemed lost. And it wasn't just one line or one player. It was like the whole team per. I say, especially the first maybe four minutes of the second, and it was up to ten. I think thirteen by the time we recorded a grade A shot for Edmonton, and then they took back over control, and they were actually really good down the stretch of the second period. But there was just that little, little um, lapse that seemed to be team wide, and they just couldn't hang on to the puck for more than a second without coughing it up. Or, just making a you know a weak play to nowhere, and the Dallas guy would be on it, and it just uh, just stressful to watch. And they, uh, but they you know they got through it without much damage. And I mean Skinner Skinner made the little bit go away, and uh, uh, it just was a part where they just weren't very effective, and uh, uh, they had anything but the puck on a string. Yeah, there was some bad nurse made one bad one. I remember that. Uh, came back the other way and it wasn't just nurse though oh. there was oh, they, it was a tight checking game i yes, will say that yes, it was yeah. an extreme both teams were frustrated mm-hmm. and they were mm-hmm. t- checking each other checking each other checking each other so there was that going on and you know bruce the orders get up to nothing and what do you like i just think every order fan is expecting this, the other shooter drop okay when is the comeback coming when is it coming? You know, how quickly will they? It's the question isn't will they give up the lead? It's how quickly will they give up the lead? And that's that's what I'm expecting every single time. And um, it didn't really happen. And then we're getting through the third period, Bruce. And it's like, you know, five minutes into the third period, nine minutes into the third period, almost ten minutes into the third period. And it's like they haven't given up that goal yet. And I'm thinking, and I'm then I'm starting to think Skinner might get a shutout. And then what do we get, Bruce? The most dreaded of all hockeyological phenomenon. The bad line change. And I'm not sure if we agree on this, but I'll just give you my take on it first. I think there's no goal here without the bad line change. And it's particularly from Warren Fogle. Because the play isn't fast developing. And it it eventually comes down Fogel's wing, but he's, the puck's in the neutral zone. Dallas has possession and he skates over from his wing and and changes. And then Leon's kind of caught in the middle. He's going one way and then he goes, Leon Dressel, then he goes the next and he does a slow line change as well. And by then Dallas is piling down Fogel's wing with Mm -hmm. two players, two players into the order zone. The first player back passes it. Um, I think it's to the player who eventually scores the goal. 
and there's an out, there's an outside shot, which Cody Cece's on that wing. He can't get to it because he's covering two players, and he can't cover both the guy who's made the back pass and then the guy who's going to shoot it. You know who would have normally been there to get on that guy who just got the back pass? Warren Fogle, if he hadn't shifted off the ice. So we get the initial shot, and then all hell breaks loose because Skinner gives up, I think, a bad rebound. Um CC uh, doesn't pick up the, sh- the the shooter then on the way to the slot. Um, uh, Kyler, Darnell Nurse is just spinning this way, that way, and anything, trying to catch up to things. And in the end, Kyler Yamamoto um, cruises back, and he doesn't. he's there in time to lift someone's stick or take someone out, but he doesn't do anything either as the puck's put into the net. And now it's two to one, game on. So... <laughs> I just think that was a horrendous that was a that was a mental mistake goal that um and the orders hadn't been making mental mistakes. There have been a couple plays where a defenseman like Evan Bouchard he could have rushed in instead of rushing in, he kind of held back at the blue line and dumped it in. And there was a number of smart plays like that by all kinds of orders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got yeah. through all they got through all kinds of like it's like a like a an, an orders game is like an escape room. Bruce mm-hmm. like there's all these puzzles they have to solve and they right. hardly ever solve them but they did solve them this game they solved the last few minutes of the second mm-hmm. period without getting scored on on a power play right. they scored the first few minutes of the third period without getting scored on they're, they're deep into the third and they're checking away and then they just they failed the to solve the, the uh, line change puzzle which which should be a big puzzle but it is now and then yeah yeah, no, I watched that play again. I mean, when I first looked at the replay, I thought, well, by the time they scored the goal, like there are people in position to prevent the goal, and uh, they they didn't prevent it, so it's on them as opposed to the guys who changed. But I agree with your take that the zone entry and, and sort of the original pressure came because there wasn't enough Oilers back, and that was because two forwards changed off while Dallas was coming off the ice with the puck. And they didn't change off very fast either, which is a... <laughs> No, they didn't. With, with many people. <clears throat> when Leon decides the shift is over, he can be 40 feet from the bench. And uh, rather than skating hard to the bench and then, you know, ringing the, you know, <clears throat> clicking the timestamp as he checks off the ice, you know, that's that's not his way. And uh, sometimes it bites him. And I'd say that play was one such. He is not the Pete Rose of... Hockey. Charlie he is Hustle. the Reggie Jackson of hockey. Reggie yeah. Jackson won some championships. Mr. He was October. The straw who stirred the drink. He actually was too. Mandatory 70 sports reference number two. Couple, couple of That's a quote from Reggie Jackson himself. Yeah. When the Yankees signed him. I'm the straw that stirs the drink, he said. And who did it piss off, Bruce? <laughs> who got upset when he said that? For bonus points? Uh, Died in a plane crash. Oh, yeah, Thurman Munson. That's who was upset, Thurman Munson, the catcher. Because he was the captain and he was the straw who stirred the drink. Who is this guy coming in here taking over my team? I don't think so, but uh, when push came to shove in October, Reggie was front and center. Indeed. That's back in the day when I actually watched baseball. Mm -hmm. I remember Reggie on the athletics. All right, Bruce, uh, your number. Yeah, I'm going to go with a, a fairly simple number tonight. In fact, maybe two of them. 22 minutes and 39 seconds. That's the main one. And that is the leading ice time for the Edmonton Oilers. And that was credited to Matthias Ekholm, 
who led the Oilers Blue Line crew tonight in minutes. His partner, Evan Bouchard, at 21.20, was second. And then we had uh, Nurse and Cece both in the 18-minute range, which is a bit low for them. And then the bottom three, of course, uh, uh, 15 for Kulak, 12 for DeHarney, 9 for Broberg. Uh, Broberg, I, I liked his game tonight. I thought he looked fine coming back from a, a time upstairs. But uh, Ekholm and uh, Bouchard were the straws that stirred the drink. Ekholm wound up plus three on this game. And he's now up to a, a ridiculous plus 13 in eight games as an Edmonton Oiler. He's already plus 13. So, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a bit of a volatile stat plus minus. All you need is your goalie to not make enough saves behind you for a while and it kind of goes south. But uh, anyway, uh, Ekholm was plus three. Bouchard was second star of this game, third star of this game with two assists and plus one. And they were rewarded. With, uh, with good ice time. And uh, one that really stands out for me, uh, oh, again, two, four takeaways for uh, Matthias Ekholm. Four takeaways. That's a lot for a player at any position. And two more for uh, Bouchard. So between the two of them, six takeaways and just two giveaways, both by Ekholm. And Bouch played a much cleaner game tonight. Like he didn't make every pass, but there were none of these egregious uh, turnovers and you know, passes to the wrong spot. He just, you know, didn't always connect, but he didn't make too many bad decisions. And and uh, so those two guys tonight, I mean, you can take ice time or even strength ice time. And again, they were the leaders, 18-23 for Ekholm in even strength ice time. Uh, and say for this game, at least they were the order's number one pairing. And hey, look, at they only gave up one goal. When was the last and, time that uh, happened? Indeed. Ekholm, uh, according to our uh, analysis, Bruce, he made four major contributions to grade-A shots this game and just one major mistake at even strength on a grade-A shot against from Matthias right. Ekholm, which is, for a defenseman, that's just out of it's this great. world. It's great Good. for a D-man, yeah. Yeah, because you know, they don't get that much ch- chance to make major contributions to grade-A shots. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he's showing some offense. He's a smart oh. hockey player. I really like him. He's like a big... He, you know, he's different. He's obviously a lot different than Duncan Keith. And he's mm-hmm. kind of halfway between Duncan Keith and Adam Larson. And mm-hmm. uh, two players I really admire and like. And um, he does have some of that quick passing and smart um, offensive reads and plays that we saw from Duncan Keith. He's not, you know, Duncan Keith was quite remarkable, even at what age 38 when he was with the Oilers, for his ability to control and pass the puck. But at home, yeah. it's just, he's just constantly making the right play is what I noticed, Bruce, just constantly making the right play. And um, that just gives a, a team, having that kind of def- those kind of defensemen on your team just, I think, lifts up your whole team. And uh, the orders were one short because Philip Broberg is, I, I thought he was really good too. And I think he's going to be, he's going to be a top four D man and maybe next year, mm-hmm. but um, he's not there yet. And um, they brought in a player who who truly is, and he's actually been there. They're probably their number one D-man since he arrived. Either he or Bouchard would be in that category. My number is actually related to Bouchard. So in the eight games since uh, Tyson Berry was traded, Bouchard has eight points. 
Nice. So uh, a point a game player in that time, that's one goal and seven assists. And four of them are, oh, I don't know what he had tonight. What was the breakdown? One and one. So it's five at even strength, I think. And, yeah, uh, one was on the power play. Uh, the first one, the Fogel goal, he was in on at even strength. And the McDavid goal, he was, uh, in both cases, a secondary assist. But get yeah. the puck into the right hands in both cases. Five, he's had, of his eight points, five at even strength throughout the power play. So, um, yeah, I just, he's, I think he's stepping up here. And did the Oilers ever need that from Evan Bouchard? They're getting it. Yeah, well, I noticed in the summary here, uh, his second assist was his 25th of the season. And he was lagging way behind. Last year he had 31. And this year he suddenly he's got 25. And with uh, 13 games left and the right way he's going, he could well pass 31. And his goal totals, I don't think he'll reach last year's 12, but I expect him still to pot the odd goal and start start um, chipping in more in that way because he certainly has the skill to be a scorer goal scorer from the back end uh, but he uh he hit the jackpot on that trade eh because he got uh he got the a vacancy was created on the right side and on the power play and the new guy that came in on the left side not only didn't take ice time from him but became his new partner in an ideal one so for bouchard it was like okay boy here's your chance we're going to roll all the tumblers falling in place for you, make the most of it. And, you know, with the occasional heart-stopping uh, exception, uh, he's been playing pretty good. Yeah. The odd yeah. brain cramp. And I don't suppose that's ever going to stop. You know, Paul Coffey. I saw oh, that never stopped. got consecutive seasons of 126, 121, 138 points. And I'm not going to tell you he didn't make any brain cramps in those seasons because I would be lying if I said that. And I don't like to lie to our listeners. Paul Coffey had brain cramps. <laughs> well, Bouchard has them and he's going to have them. We're going to have to deal with them. Uh, in his first season with the Edmonton Oilers, Terry Jones of the Edmonton <laughs> Sun nicknamed him <laughs> Paul Coffup. All right. Yeah. So uh, Evan Bouchard for regular ed, regular NHL demon is now um, 42nd overall in even strength scoring. That's so not that's so bad. bad. That's not bad. That's top pairing, by you know in terms of that's point top production. pairing. You're right, Bruce. The, the, the top, top 64. 64. Darnell Nurse, top 30 in yeah. even strength scoring. The yeah, that's uh, that's normal for him. That is normal for him. He's a hell of a hockey player. And and, and he and CeCe, again, like I just think they get a rough ride because they just night in, night out, they're playing the, the, the toughest guys and the biggest guys, the most skilled guys. It's just grinds you down. It's hard. And they generally speak, and they, they hold their own. They get their job done. In fact, Darnell Nurse is more than holding his own this season. He's having a, a good or really good year, in my opinion. And um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Again, uh, not everybody likes plus minus, but, uh, you know, outscoring the other guys is kind of a good thing to do. And, and even if there are flaws in stat, uh, Nurse leads the Oilers with plus 20. Plus 20. So for all the rotten things he supposedly does out there, maybe he does some things right once in a while, too. I'm going to I'm going to die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in agreement, Bruce. <laughs> that. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a, he is a, I think he's going to have a real good playoffs too. That's my prediction. All right, Bruce, uh, let's leave it. Let's leave it there. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.